Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Grain's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Grain's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, we are having on a dermatologist who I've had the pleasure of working with for a few months now. And I just, I've really enjoyed getting to know her and her beauty philosophy. And there's just so much overlap with, um, you know, what she believes in and what we believe in. So this seemed like uh, a natural fit to have her on the podcast today. Uh, you know, without further ado, I'll go ahead and welcome her on, Dr. Apple Bodemer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. It's, um, it's as you said, I feel really aligned with what you're doing at Mind Body Green, and I'm just really excited about the information that you're putting out there and the way that you're doing it. So I'm, I'm excited to have this chat with you. Well, I'm so excited to not only have this chat, but get to know you a little bit better. Um, you know, we, we have worked together um, in an editorial capacity, so that's mainly just been over email. So I'm excited to learn more about your story and, uh, it, you know, which is the perfect segue into my first question. Um, what is your journey into medicine and more specifically dermatology? Well, when I was in college, I read a book by a woman named Candace Pert, and it was called Molecules of Emotion. And I was always fascinated by health. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian from the time I was eight, and that was sort of my plan. And I hit college, and I started to kind of question whether or not that was a, the path that I really wanted to take, but I knew I was fascinated by biology. And in this book, the author really talked about how these chemicals that we make naturally float around in our body and that how they can impact our mood, including our thoughts, and how that dance kind of goes around how our thoughts and our moods can influence those chemicals as well and how that affects health overall. So that was the turning point for me that made me pivot and say, yeah, I really want to work with human medicine, not, not animal medicine. And, you know, throughout medical school, I, I was fascinated by the biology and I was really drawn to especially that, that science piece of it. And when I was in medical school, I was always curious about how other cultures did things. And in, and I, I kind of ended up in dermatology almost as a fluke because I was headed to become probably a pathologist, which, you know, they, they don't really, pathologists don't really interact a lot with people, but I love the puzzle. I love the colors and I loved watching how the cells sort of interacted with each other. And a colleague said, well, you might want to try out dermatology. So I did a rotation in dermatology fairly late in my medical school career. And I met a patient who had psoriasis which some of your listeners might know and others might not. This is a really physically debilitating condition where people have red plaques that are scaly and they flake and they it's hard often to hide because it affects the elbows, knees, scalp. And this man also had a brain tumor. And the brain tumor, they were walking a delicate balance of suppressing his immune system enough so that the psoriasis would quiet down, but not suppressing it so much that the brain tumor would go away, that the brain tumor would grow. And he looked at me and he said, I know the brain tumor kill me, but I would take the brain tumor any day over the psoriasis. And that was a really powerful moment for me. And that was the moment that I said, yes, this is what I want to do. The Having that ability to so significantly impact people's quality of life was something that just really spoke to me. That's so powerful to hear. And you know that speaks to another question that I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, throughout your career, throughout your life, do you have any core memories um, or moments that have shaped your approach to work and, you know, your relationship with 
skin health. I mean, clearly that has to be one because that shaped your entire career. But, you know, are there others that you can look back and 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 pinpoint moments that, you know, kind of took you into this direction that you're in now? So that's how I ended up in dermatology. And as you know, I've I've been in an integrative space for a really long time. In fact, my whole career. And it was during my residency, I had the opportunity to travel to both India and China and to see how medicine was practiced in those countries. And really getting that sense of sort of that traditional Ayurvedic plus the traditional Chinese medicine approach opened my eyes to seeing like, oh, there's other ways of doing things. And there's other options out there. So when I come to the end of my therapeutic ladder from the Western trained background that I have, that I really wanted to have more to offer people. And I really wanted to be able to, to kind of meet people where they were. And sometimes it wasn't the most aggressive drug that I knew would clear it up in three days. Sometimes people really wanted the advice about the lifestyle choices that they could make that would impact their chronic condition, or they wanted to take botanicals or supplements. And so that's really what having those experiences and seeing, wow, these health systems really work and seeing them work alongside Western medicine, which is how they're often practiced in other parts of the world, made me really want to go into this integrative space and pursue that. And that's what I've been doing pretty much since I finished my fellowship in integrative medicine. And I think another point for me, I mean, that also was a huge career direction uh, move. But, you know, I'm, I'm a mom of four. And I was sort of on this path. I was finishing up my residency when my first child was born. And I remember looking down at him and really make, made me think differently about what I put on and in my body. And just just seeing this brand new fresh life and wondering how is this going to go you know and also having had the opportunity to see people age over you know the decades that I've been in practice i know people for a long time the people that i do skin exams on that have long histories of skin cancer and i watch them get older i watch them lose some of their mobility i watch them you know lose spouses and just watch pe- watching people transition through different life stages like that has also really made me think more critically about how I'm advising other patients and also kind of what am I doing with for myself and for my family. Sure. Um, You know, obviously dermatology and integrative dermatology covers so much ground. And I'm curious, is there an area of dermatology or an area of integrated dermatology that piques your interest um, more so? And um, why? I think it's that piece because in integrative space, we really talk a lot about kind of every aspect of health, but it's the lifestyle pieces that I'm really passionate about. And that's kind of what drove me to pursue uh, fellowship accreditation in lifestyle medicine as well. I've always been very interested in nutrition from my very early college years and how nutrition and the molecules that we take in, how they affect the molecules that our bodies make. And uh, and so so that was kind of my my initial really drive to kind of be in the lifestyle medicine space and also sort of seeing over and over how things like stress and sleep really plays into that stress piece a lot because it's kind of a vicious cycle and how that impacts people's overall health, but in particular their skin health. I I like to ask this next question because I think it illuminates the rest of the conversation to follow. And it is, what is your beauty philosophy? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I've thought a little bit about this, you know, 
And the the answer that keeps coming up for me, it's a little strange, but it's what keeps coming up for me. And that is that that beauty is a choice. And I think there's so many points in our life that we can look at the things around us or we can look at ourselves and either find beauty or not find beauty. And I, um, I, th- I think that there have been points in my life where I would, whether it was feeling beautiful, and I think that's a big part of that kind of choice. Obviously, we can't change the genetics that we come into the world with, but there's so much about beauty that isn't the physical facade that really comes from the heart. And I think there's there's been people who I've met who I think, oh, they're gorgeous. And then I get to know them like, uh, and the opposite true. Some people where I don't, they don't strike me as being gorgeous, but as I've gotten to know them, they just start to glow and shine. And and I think that that really is the it, beauty is inside out. It's something that we can radiate no matter what we're given genetically. And uh and and so that's something that I I've come to appreciate. You know, now sitting at almost fifty, I I think I think about beauty a lot differently. But that's that's really, you know, when I look in the mirror now, I consciously say, well, what a, what a, what it looks beautiful today. And sometimes it's the same thing as yesterday, and sometimes not, because what I don't think is beautiful is always there. And I had a lot of practice in my you know early adulthood of focusing on what isn't beautiful and. You know, and it's really shifted my life to look at beauty in this different way, to kind of acknowledge that it's a choice I'm making because those same physical traits are, you know, if it, if anything, they the the positive ones have diminished as I've gotten, you know, closer to fifty and and you know, but but being able to see it as something that comes from inside, not something that's on the surface, and something that I can choose, and then something that I can share. And one of the ways that I can share beauty is one, finding the beauty within me, but also finding the beauty within each person that I'm interacting with. And sometimes that's hard when I'm having a difficult interaction with people and I'm, you know, want to have all of these negative words in my head, then just stopping and pausing and catching myself and think, okay, what's beautiful about this person in front of me right now? And that often shifts the whole dynamic. And I'm not always successful, but but I, I think I definitely think of beauty a lot more holistically than I did earlier on in my life. I love that answer. Um, beauty is a choice. I mean, I I think that is so succinct. It is so lovely. And it's also something that nobody has said on this podcast before. Um, and it's just such a true sentiment. You know, we, I think sometimes we view beauty as something that, I don't know, happens to us rather than we make deliberate choices to put it out into the world, right? And I just, I think taking that control is really powerful and to understand, you know, how much power you have um, to create beauty around you. Um, I'm, God, I love that. I'm going to be thinking about that for (laughs) a while. I, that's really, really special. Um, the follow-up question to this is, what is your well-being philosophy? I think it's it's very similar. I mean, well-being, I think kind of beauty is a part of well-being, and well-being is kind of a bigger um, umbrella than just kind of looking at beauty. But it's well-being is also, I, I think I would also say that's, that's the choices we make every day to nourish ourselves and to make sure that we're feeding both ourselves and taking care of ourselves as well as the people around us. And I think um, 
also as a mom of four kids and being, you know, middle age, all of that, realizing that that piece of my personal well-being has to be really high on the priority list or I can't take care of the people that are really important to me. And I include my patients in that, the people that I work with, but, you know, especially the family. So, so that's, I, I think well-being is really the result of the habits and the practices that we employ every day, you know, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but really trying to do the best we can with what we've got in the moment. Yeah. I, again, I, I really like that sentiment. Um, and, you know, I, I want to move on to more of the quote unquote meat of the conversation. Um, and I think a good place to start is talking about the, uh, the nature of integrative dermatology, because I do think that integrative medicine is something that perhaps people are not, um, fully familiar with. I think of people in, you know, who are listening to this podcast probably are, um, but it's not, you know, it's not something that is super widespread, um, and especially integrative derm dermatology. Um, and I'm curious, you know, as somebody who has been practicing for a while and as somebody who is, um, you know, so ingrained in this space, um, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you run into about integrative dermatology? Well, the biggest one is that people will often assume that I'm alternative or complementary. And I, I've even had patients come in disappointed that I wasn't a naturopathic doctor because they assumed that I would have a different skill set that skill set than what I do have. And really, I am a Western trained physician, and my grounding is in Western medical philosophy. Um, I I have a different palette to offer patients when they come to meet me because I am also very well versed in kind of the whole lifestyle area, but I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner. I'm not a naturopath. I'm not a traditional acupuncturist and I don't do I don't do acupuncture. I work very closely with those people and I know when to refer people. I have a good sense of of how do I decide which patients would benefit most from Ayurveda, which patients would benefit most from traditional Chinese medicine and and kind of matching them up with these alternative or complementary therapies is sort of what I see my role as an integrative, but still using all the best tools that we have from Western medicine and lifestyle medicine. Okay. Um, but on a broader scale, you know, I, I want to ask what you think the beauty industry and, you know, uh, dermatologists writ large are getting wrong about skin health. And I ask this question of you because you are somebody as an integrative specialist takes a unique approach to all of this, right? And you are somebody who is looking at the beauty industry um, from a different from a different angle. Um, and I think when when you do look at uh, you know these sorts of broader industry you know norms from from a different angle, you're able to see where perhaps we're not getting it fully correct or, you know, where maybe our shortcomings are. So I'm curious, you know, when, when you see, um, you know, conversations about skin health happening, what, what do you think the broader industry is getting wrong? Um, well, starting with kind of the, the medical industry, if we'll call it that, I think we often see, okay, I'm a specialist. I take care of the skin and every other organ is sort of off limits. And 
yeah, okay, it's helpful for me to know that you have these other health issues, maybe because of drug, drug interactions, but but really kind of looking at the skin as separate from everything else, I think is one of the biggest, um, I guess, mis mistakes, if you call it that, come from, from the medical standpoint, because really the skin is a reflection of what's going on inside. And we, you know, we know that okay, if you have di if you have diabetes, if you have kidney disease, if you have liver disease, you're more prone to dry skin. You're more prone to itching. There's kind of these bigger baskets of things. But really, looking at skin health, it starts with what's inside. And one of the things that I love about the homeopathic realm, and, and homeopathy is something that I'm not versed and I don't practice it. I have a couple classical homeopathists that I refer to when patients would benefit from that or have that interest. And it's one of these things that I sort of, a friend said at one point, and I have the same sentiment, I I don't believe in it, but I'm really glad it works <laughs> because I can't wrap my Western trained brain around homeopathy, but I've seen it be really powerful for people. And, uh, and, and I've had, I've dabbled in a little bit for my own health issues and I've seen some benefits. So, so that's, that's, um, that's sort of one thing, but really that looks at the system as a whole. And, you know, a lot of these other Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, um, they really look at at energy in a different way than we do in Western medicine, and it all ties tightly together. Um, so so I think that's one thing about Western medicine that we sort of, we compartmentalize, and that really is, doesn't help our patients the most. But when we can can look at them and say, okay, we're going to do all of these things, but but I really want to talk to you about your sleep because I think that's driving part of your acne, at least part of it, you know, and and having those conversations I think is really important and it's really powerful for people to hear these messages because we're getting all kinds of messages from the media, from a variety of industries, including the food industry and, um, you know, big lobbies that are driving a lot of the information that we get and the, the, the habits that we pick up. And being able to have a doctor say, no, I, I really think if, if we can get more fruits and vegetable in your diet, that's going to help your skin health. Then they've heard that even if they don't take it on right away, even if it's 10 years before they take it on, you know, or if you tell them, yeah, your soda intake of, you know, six cans of Coke a day is really causing a big problem with your skin. Then if they don't listen to that once, it doesn't mean that we failed. It just means that they need to hear it more. They've had so many other messages so that when as a physician or an aesthetician or somebody else who's working in the health space, coach or whatever it would be, can reinforce positive messages, that's really powerful. Yeah. And then you asked everyone to just touch on the beauty industry. I think yes, that was going to be my my next thing I was going to say. You know, obviously you are a medical board professional, but your patients come in and they're inundated by the beauty industry. So, you know, you you have such a huge stake in how the beauty industry approaches, you know, skin health. Yeah, and I think the the one thing about the beauty industry that that it's it's driven to create more and more products. And one of the things that I see is product burnout and product stress because my patients will come in, they'll literally have grocery bags full of serums and um, powders and all of these different things and they're so confused. And when you go into Target or Sephora or Ulta or Walgreens or Walmart, it's just aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles. And I think I understand the 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 external pressures for the beauty industry to behave that way as as kind of a whole but i wish that we could reward really focusing on 
companies having just a few high quality things to simplify it for people. And I wish we could really focus instead of more, 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 like what is it that's actually going into these products? And what does your ingredient list look like? Because, you know, I think most people would agree, even if we don't follow great dietary uh, patterns, that what we put into our body has an impact on how we feel. But what we put on our skin, some of it does get absorbed. And I'm not crazy and I don't think that, oh, everybody can, you, you know, it has to have only five ingredients for it to be, uh, you know, a, a clean product. And we all make choices. And I think when we're taking care of our health and our well-being in other ways, we can tolerate some toxicity, but you really want to minimize it. So pick and choose. You know, I mean, for me, it's waterproof mascara. I've been through so many, most of them just like, I end up with this, I call it my five o'clock shadow and it's right underneath my eyes. And, and so the one that I use, I'm sure is not the cleanest, but it stays. Although the makeup remover that I use is a plant-based oil and it has nothing but the plant-based oil in it. So I think, I think that's a place where if we can simplify things, then we know where we have our wiggle room. And we also know that if somebody's eating lots of fruits and vegetables and supporting their detox, their natural detoxification systems, then we're going to be able to pick and choose a little bit more flexibly. And we don't have to be quite so rigid with everything that kind of goes on or in. I love that approach. Um, I think it's a very reasonable approach because to expect people to live a fully quote unquote toxin-free lifestyle is it's unrealistic. And it's also, I mean, I guess the only way to say it is it's unrealistic. You know, no one's going to live like that. And I certainly can't live like that. Um, even though I'm somebody whose job it is to, you know, uh, practice this way and try out clean products and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's, nobody's ever going to actually stick to that 100%. And so we have to allow for wiggle room. We have to allow for for space. And so, you know, I think I think that's a, a wonderful approach. I want to talk about the basics of skin health to you as somebody who is an integrative dermatologist. You know, we've mentioned a few of them in this episode. Um, you know, sleep, you mentioned. Nutrition, all of these things play a role in our skin. Um but, you know, if you work to condense the the many, many things that affect the way that we look and feel, you know, what would be some of the core pillars? Are you asking in terms of types of products? Oh, no, I'm talking about lifestyle. Lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it is sort of the core pillars of, of health in general, which is nutrition, eat as many plants as you can fit into your diet, really minimize animal products the best that you can. You know, dairy is very pro-inflammatory and I've got patients who come in and I mean, I'm in Wisconsin. So it's, you know, I, I often have the dairy conversation with a lot of people. And again, it is one of these, if you're drinking eight glasses of milk a day, plus ice cream, plus cheese, plus whatever else, you know, that that's a huge inflammatory load on the system and, um, and, and sort of having people again, pick and choose. Okay. And I, I think way back when I was in college and nutrition was and still is very confusing. It was the butter and margarine argument that would go back and forth every two or three years is sort of, okay, well, I know I'm going to have this, you know, the, the 10% rules. Like if I'm good 80 to 90% of the time, then I have this wiggle room. Um, you know, so I think that part of the diet without 
making it cause stress in your life or without getting very restrictive if you don't need to be restrictive. And certainly some people do need to be restrictive, but I think a lot of people get wrapped up in, um, you know, oh, gluten is bad for everybody. That's not true. Gluten is bad for some people and most people can tolerate um, reasonable amounts of gluten, but just not huge loads of gluten, you know? So that's just one example. There's all kinds of controversial areas over that when it comes to diet. Um, but really just focusing on getting as much fiber as you can. I think fiber is is one of the unsung heroes of nutrition. People kind of get confused about it and then just sort of don't want to talk about it. And, you know, um, I'm not sure if this will be popular with your listeners. You can feel free to edit this out. But how many bowel movements a day are you having? Because that's one way that we eliminate toxins. That's one way that we eliminate used up hormones that are doing us no good. And if they sit there for a couple of days, bacteria in our gut can recycle them. And so, you know, looking at that, are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting enough water? That's another thing. We have very few studies on oral hydration, but that's that's a big, a big driver. I think several years ago now, there was a study that came out that said, just drink when you're thirsty. You don't have to worry about getting 64 ounces a day. And I I've watched that and and I, I don't think that that's true. I think if we wait till we're thirsty to drink, we're already dehydrated. And I've seen hydration play a huge role in people's, not just the appearance of their skin, but the function of their skin. You know, and, and I think when I think about skin health and skin beauty, function is a core piece of that, is how well is our skin barrier kind of maintaining and how well is it doing protecting us from outside invaders, which is really what it's designed to do, whether that's toxins or microbes or UV radiation or whatever that is. And so kind of keeping that idea of the function up and antioxidants that come from whole plant foods are really important in that in that piece of, of maintaining that function of the barrier. Yeah. No, I actually think the fiber thing is so fascinating. And, you know, when we talk about skin health and, you know, making sure that you have, um, you know, a, a robust diet to support your digestive system, um, I think it's such an important conversation. And I think it's one that... Um, you know, people are probably like quite sheepish to talk about. Um, but and listen, understandably, but it's, you know, making sure that your digestive system is regular is such a core part of living healthy. Um, so just, you know, a follow up on that. Let's say somebody is having, um, you know, maybe some uh, dietary distress. Um, you know, one how how does that show up in the skin? Like, is that is there anything that it's associated with, um, even loosely? And then two, you know, what are some ways that they can um, support their digestion through nutrition? So, and the research isn't where I would love it to be. It's getting there, and we are getting more deeper understanding about the connection of what goes on with the gut with what's going on with the skin. But rosacea is one condition that's very very common. And there is, in, in my experience, and what I know that's probably got the tightest connection with what's going on in the gut, it's well documented that things like H. pylori infection, and that's a bacteria that can actually be one of the symptoms of that type of infection can be heartburn. So that's something that I often will ask my rosacea patients about. Like, are you having any, you know, asking them about diarrhea, constipation, heartburn, those can give us a sense of what's going on in their gut. So the heartburn is usually higher up and that's H. pylori specifically. There's another condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO is what most people know about it. And that can also drive rosacea and not always. So sometimes I'll identify somebody with SIBO and we clear the SIBO 
and the rosacea is still there. But there are a number of times where if you address the SIBO, then the rosacea gets significantly better, if not goes away. And the same with the H. pylori. You know, back, uh, I'm not sure exactly when in the like 80s or 90s, it was the hot thing. We had to test all rosacea patients and we'd just treat it and it would all, all rosacea would just disappear. And it didn't turn out to be that clear cut and a direct correlation because there's a lot of other drivers for rosacea as well. But but it is something that that I think we should think about. Acne and psoriasis are two other conditions where we do seem to have some connection with with uh, gut microflora and what's going on in the skin. Unfortunately, at this point, we don't have great ways, of spot, aside from H. pylori and SIBO, of being like, oh, your gut microflora is altered in this way. This is what we need to do, fix it and make it last. Because so much of our gut microflora is, is established at birth, and then we do have different experiences in our life, which can alter it. And But, but diet is one of the biggest uh, drivers of what's going on in our gut. Uh, the fiber piece is a big one. There was just a recent study that came out about fermented foods. And that kind of blew everybody's mind away because they're comparing fermented food diet, well, a diet that includes fermented foods, to a high fiber diet. And everybody expected that the high fiber diet was going to lead to more biodiversity in the gut. And actually, it was a fermented food that was more powerful in that particular study. And, you know, so that's kind of a new piece that that I think other cultures have been doing for ages. And, you know, we have sauerkraut, but we don't really eat a lot of fermented foods. And most people aren't eating sauerkraut that's fermented in a natural way that would have the probiotics that we really need. Most people are getting it already pasteurized, which kills off all the good bacteria. It's all fascinating. I have rosacea um, and I talk about it a lot on this podcast. So... I probably need to, and I also, you know, I have a, I have a sensitive stomach. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> I, I, that's fascinating that there's a connection there. I love talking about nutrition. I want to move to the other lifestyle aspects. We know mental health and the skin are deeply interconnected. So, can you share with us, you know, how these two play off each other and how you can support your skin through through supporting your mental health? Yeah, I think the 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 easiest tie in to talk about is sleep because sleep, when we ha are struggling with mental health issues, sleep often gets disrupted and disturbed and disrupted and disturbed sleep can actually feed into mental health issues. So these two in my book are really tightly intertwined. And, uh, and, you know, so, so that's one part. And then sleep is also really tied to stress. So the three things, the mental health, sleep and stress are all really interconnected. And, you know, many people are very resilient. We can handle a lot of stress, but most of us will have a tipping point where all of a sudden we're sleeping all the time and we've got depressive symptoms, or maybe we actually go into a clinically depressed state. And, um, and then that's a really hard place to get out of. And sometimes that happens without the stress and without the sleep disturbance, but it usually creates stress and usually creates sleep disturbance. So, so I think that it's really important to address stress and sleep because those those are easy entry points to get to mental health. Uh, I think the other thing that I'm seeing just is an epidemic of loneliness. And I'm seeing a lot of, I would call it generational siloing, where we have an aging population that's not really closely connected to a younger generation. And we have a younger generation that's really missing out on the guidance and wisdom that the elders could provide. And I'm not quite sure why this has happened. I have some theories. Uh, I see it 
playing out somewhat differently in more indigenous type cultures and in other countries where there is a lot more of a tight connection between uh, bloodlines, I would say. And it doesn't have to be bloodlines. It can be chosen families. It can be, you know, just really close friend groups. However that looks, I, I think, especially COVID, I think amplified that loneliness. But I'm seeing so many people who are struggling to find really a way to be of service to others. And I, I think that's the Dalai Lama once said, the quickest way to get yourself into a state of depression is to focus on yourself. And the quickest way out is to focus on others. And that's a quote that I, I might have the exact wording wrong, but the sentiment of that is something that I think about on a regular basis. And you know, when I'm going about have choices to make in my life, kind of asking like, how is this going to serve someone else? Or when I'm sitting in front of a patient, how can I serve you? Like, what can I do to make your life better? And I think we often in Western culture sort of have this, oh, you've got to love yourself first, love yourself first, love yourself first. But I was recently talking with a Buddhist monk and he said, nope, it's kind of the opposite. If you can love others, you become lovable, not just to those other people, but to yourself as well. And that's a really important piece of the mental health picture. And I'm, there are, you know, besides depression, there's bipolar, there's all these other very complex mental health illnesses uh, and or issues that really have a lot of biochemical disturbances. And I'm not at all meaning to minimize that because I think it's really, really important that we're also addressing that biochemical piece. But what can we do in our lives from a holistic standpoint to, you know, get ourselves out of our kind of out of our own little bubble. Because what I've seen happen in family members and patients who struggle with depression is your world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then pretty soon you're sleeping and eating and not a whole lot else because you just don't have energy to do anything else. And in those situations, when people are in that place, we really need to normalize getting help and getting help from professionals so that they can get out of that place. And you know, often once you're in that place, you're not going to be able to serve your way out of it we need to employ specialists and employ sometimes medications or supplements or things that'll give you kind of a boost to get out of that place to, to get you to a point where you can start to focus on other things and that you are find what you're energized about. Sure. I love the direction that this is going because I think it's something that I have been talking more and more about on this podcast. I mean, this podcast has always been very focused on mental health and, you know, the various ways that mental health and, and beauty intertwines. But I do, honestly, I do find that a lot of conversations that I have with people in the beauty industry or, you know, conversations that I'm having with people outside of the beauty, beauty industry, but they just happen to be conversations about beauty specifically, they very quickly open up to conversations about taking care of yourself and mental health and conversations like this. Um, and I find that really beautiful. And I, I think it's interesting that beauty can serve as this way to take care of yourself in other areas as well. And, you know, you are somebody who practices holistically, um, and I'm sure this happens quite a bit with, you know, people that you see, maybe they come to you because they have some sort of skin concern, but, you know, the more and more you talk about it, it's, it's something else. And, you know, I certainly, I relate to that. Certainly a lot of people that I have spoken to 
something similar has happened to them. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I, I'm always curious about why beauty is a little bit of a catalyst in that way and why it is, maybe it's because it's easier to talk about skin problems than it is to talk about mental health problems. I'm not quite sure, you know, like what, what's your experience with this? Well, I do think that's a part of it. We can see our skin. And so a skin is a tangible thing, whereas mental health is an intangible. And so it's easier for people to focus instead of focusing on, you know, the grief of a lost child or lost spouse, or instead of focusing on, um, you know, d- the despair that they're feeling about something else, it's easy to to pivot and say, okay, but it's it's this brown spot on my arm. And, um, and then they kind of focus, they hyper-focus on that brown spot, or it's my psoriasis. I think the other thing with with skin, though, is that we know anxiety can exacerbate a lot of skin conditions. Psoriasis, eczema, hydratinitis separativa, acne, like any skin condition that you can think of, there's a connection to to stress at least, you know. And and so when we're in this place, and and being depressed or manic or whatever it is, that's a stressed state for your body. So that's going to cause exacerbations of these skin conditions. And I'm carefully, I don't think stress causes them, but it can unmask a predisposition to developing these. And, um, and so, you know, it it is kind of how is your genetics coming into play? And what are the other uh, kind of insults that you're getting from the environment? And, and all of it kind of ties together. But I think because we can see our skin, it allows us to really focus on that. Nobody comes in kind of hyper-focused on their heart unless it's actually causing them pain. But if they could see what was happening, could see the blood vessels in their heart either getting engorged in some places and constricted in others, they would be fo- focused on it, right? So I, I think that visual is um, its the reason that beauty ends up becoming so so deeply connected with mental health. Yeah. I just, it's an area that always fascinates me and it's an area that I always love to explore just because, you know, I think it's, it's important to talk about and listen, if, if beauty is a way, like a, a superficial way for people to open up about quote unquote deeper things, then, then wonderful. Let it be that, you know? Um, so, you know, that's, that's why I enjoy talking about it. And that's why I enjoy, you know, having these sorts of discussions because I do think it, it hopefully allows people to feel more vulnerable and talk to this about this sort of stuff with the people in their own lives, right? And, you know, it's it's always important to have reminders of, you know, you can talk about this stuff and you can open up about this stuff. And if if beauty is a way that you can start those conversations, then let that be what it is, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, and like you said, sometimes somebody will come with, to me with a skin problem and I'll get a sense of like, oh, this is deeper. And we can, you know, sometimes that conversation is really hard to have because some people are so detached from their mental health or their mental well-being that they they can't even go there, you know. And and there are ways that, you know, I've found to kind of f- figure out if that's what's going on and ways of trying to bring people around, like addressing that beauty first and developing that relationship and and then sort of trying to help address the underlying things that are that are driving it and it's not always possible and that's that's one of the frustrating things about just working with people in the way that I do and in the way that I'm sure you do and 
anybody who's in kind of the health and beauty space is going to be faced with. Yeah. I hate to pivot away from this discussion, but um, the next thing I want to ask you about is, um, you know, what's what's exciting you, what's on the horizon for dermatology and integrative dermatology specifically, because, you know, I, I always love hearing about what what has piqued people's interest about, you know, new research and, you know, where, where their sites have t- taken them next, you know, is, is there anything, any new research that has come out that you're excited about, you know, et cetera? Yeah. Well, we've had just an explosion of a few different categories of pharmaceuticals that are allowing us to really, really have huge impacts on people's skin disease, in particular alopecia areata, psoriasis, um, as well as as other skin conditions that we just really struggle to even touch with some of the other medications for some for many patients without adding in a lot of toxicity. I think it's an exciting area, but it also I'm not an early adopter of anything. I usually like to hang back and say like, how is this going to play out? Because they are brand new drugs. And but the, the what I'm most excited about is seeing the pathways, the biochemical pathways that these drugs are helping us understand better, and. One of the things that I get really excited about too is is as as we sort of enter the cycle of huge explosion of pharmaceuticals, then we start understanding better how they're working. We understand these specific pathways of inflammation of immune regulation. We start understanding them better. That ends up bringing us full circle around to okay, what you know, what in the what in the our lifestyles can do that? What kind of botanicals? What kind of fruits or vegetables have these similar compounds? And um, and so I just found an article about a new drug class and um, and it was a, this new drug class opened up this category of molecules. They're called jack inhibitors, which probably doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people unless you're in the health world. but but I found an article that was looking at dietary sources of inhibitors of that pathway. And so I just was doing that uh, preparing for a talk I'm giving on hair loss and just two nights ago. And I found this paper and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool to see. Like turmeric is one of them and turmeric is such a powerful anti-inflammatory. And here's yet another great reason to incorporate more turmeric. Um, so I think that's, you know, and the, the other thing I think is that that people are hungry and excited and wanting to learn more about their lifestyles and how it impacts things. I think breath work is an ancient, ancient practice. It's something that's really been transformative in my life. It's something that I practice on a mostly regular basis. And and I've seen it just transform some of my patients' lives, even without touching their skin condition. I've I've really seen work in that. And there are some studies that are coming out about breath work. They're fewer than I would like, but it's hard to find funding for some of the work that I would love to be seeing done. But I I think the pharmaceutical industry and the beauty industry are starting to devote resources to focusing on more than just the products that they're they're putting on the skin and focusing more on how how do we get information to people about these other important aspects of their lives. Yeah. I I do think it's the last point that you said is very true that I I do see a shift in the beauty industry that it is moving away from just solely product-based information, which I I think is really exciting. And I think it's a long time coming. I I don't think it's trend, right? I think it's something that is just, um, it's a beauty industry finally evolving in this way, Um, which, you know, it's exciting to see because it's finally, it opens up new avenues for people to take care of themselves and they don't just feel reliant on the endless 
cycle of products um, that that we're all subject to. Um, which a little bit brings me into the last topic of discussion, which is how you take care of yourself. Um, and you know, sometimes this involves products, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I, I leave it up to people's interpretation um, because how people take care of themselves is so vastly different. Um, so, you know, how, how do you take care of your skin? Well, the, and I'll say this, like, so, so for me, breath work is an important part of how I take care of myself. And that includes skin because it helps me with my sleep. And for me, sleep is the, the, the thing that I struggle with the most. Um, but so that's, I'm, I'm got a very minimalistic approach to skin care. Um, I, I don't use a lot of different types of products. Well, I, I say that, but if you look at my cabinet, it tells a different story because I'm always trying new things so that I can advise my patients. So I do try a lot of different things, but my basic core um, skincare structure really is use the least amount of whatever it is that I need. So, you know, when it comes to shampoo, there's all kinds of controversies about some of the chemicals in shampoos. Um, and there's all kinds of controversy about some of the chemicals in sunscreens. And I think you can find controversy in any kind of product category. But when people come to me, you know, we see in the commercials, like it's a palm, you know, it's like the shampoo and people just keep squeezing the bottle and it's just almost like a cup of shampoo on your hand and then you suds it in. And and I I think, no, we should just be using the least amount that we need. And, and so just using a little bit so that I'm not damaging my hair or over drying it. Um, I think deep conditioning, I'm, I'm starting with hair, I don't know why, but I, I do a lot of work with hair loss, so I think that comes to mind. So deep conditioning every once in a while is also really healthy for the hair, whether you're using a DIY um, mask with avocado and banana and honey, or you find a, 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 deep, a deep moisturizing hair mask on a shelf somewhere, like doing that at least like once a week or every other week, depending on your hair type. I think with the skin, I have a variety of different oils that I love to use. Um, I am very basic. I use a lot of plant-based oils. There are some oil blends that I really enjoy, um, but I don't think it's necessary to use oil blends. They tend to be a little bit higher cost, and it just depends on what your price point is. Um, one of my favorites right now is hemp seed oil, and I don't put it on in the morning, but I will just soak myself in it at night sometimes if I'm feeling really dry because it absorbs really well. It has a little bit of, I, I call it the dirty hippie smell, which I don't mind, but it's got a bit of an herbal scent to it. Um, but there's other plant-based oils that I love, avocado oil. I use that in the winter more because it's a little bit heavier. I love rosehip oil because of the antioxidants. Carrot seed oil is another one that's got a lot of antioxidants in it, and it's used often in, in anti-aging type products. But I think the rosehip seed oil is a little more accessible, and um, and that's a really beautiful oil to put on your skin. So I think I, I could go on and on about oils because I, I love them so much. I don't I think it's great to eat a lot of eat a lot of them, but putting them on the skin um, can be a really beautiful way. And, and when we're putting oils on or lotions or creams or whatever it is, is to massage yourself a little bit. Like, don't just slap it on and run, you know, make sure that we're kind of getting a little bit of motion. We can pull a little up on our cheeks and that's going to help a little bit fight the the battle of gravity. So kind of not just what you're putting on your skin, but also how you're putting it on your skin. And when I have time, which I often don't, but when I do, and I can just really massage something into my skin, that feels really great, you know, and, and that can be a really beautiful part of a self-care 
program, like how you're putting these products on. I love a little shimmer. So in the makeup world, I have a couple little shimmer things that I like to put on sometimes. And, um, you know, my, my makeup is pretty minimal. I mentioned the waterproof mascara. I wear a little bit of eye makeup. Um, I wear sunscreen. So sunscreen is a big, a big thing. And I use a really clean sunscreen. That's one point where I, I tell patients, if you're going to invest in any skincare product, invest in a really good quality sunscreen that's mineral-based that feels good on your skin that you're going to use, at least you know on your face and neck um, to kind of minimize aging. Because people will be throwing all kinds of anti-aging products on their skin and they're not wearing sunscreen and they're not wearing a hat and they're not wearing sunglasses. I'm like, well, you're just kind of, you know, fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, listen, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Um, I, I loved chatting with you. I knew that I was going to like chatting with you. <laughs> and so to have it confirmed, uh, just really brings me so much joy. Uh, so, you know, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and, you know, sharing your insights and, um, you know, your wisdoms. Uh, this, this has been such a, such a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work that you're doing in the beauty space and bringing this message to, you know, a wider array of people that, you know, aren't necessarily struggling with skin disease and needing to come see somebody like me, but there's more people out there that are just really looking to optimize. And I think what you guys are doing at Mind Body Green is really beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBodyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbodygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.